0: So, my first question for you, Baba, is, um, <laughs> whenever we get on the phone, what are usually the first things you say to me? Kifik. That means, how are you, in Arabic? Um, what other things do you ask me?
1: How's work? Are you t- taking good care of yourself, Rima? Um, and how's your back? Do you exercise? Do you go and walk and get some fresh air?
0: So why do you ask me all these questions?
1: Because I I have a feeling that you're always so busy and occupied with your job. Hmm. And you don't leave much time, you know, for for yourself, you know, for your health.
0: My dad is always on me about this because he knows just how much I prioritize my work how it means that I put so many other parts of my life on the back burner. And, I don't know, that frustrates me too. Every couple months or so, I sit down and I write this master to-do list. I have one right here. I wrote, read 15 minutes a day, exercise four times a week, sharpen my Arabic, call my sister, reorganize my kitchen, and learn how to sew. But months later, there is virtually nothing crossed off this list. I've just been thinking a lot about my relationship with feeling and being productive, and even though I, f- I am consumed by work, I still feel sometimes like I'm falling short, <laughs> like, and I, I don't know, I'm just not doing that, I guess. But ba-
1: you shouldn't feel bad, because every single person has this dilemma of, of doing everything in yeah. a little time.
0: My dad did the dad thing and tried to make me feel better. But the fact is, sometimes I think about this future self. She's more organized, in better shape, she wakes up early, is a great friend, has really nice hair. And I think I'm scared that if I don't get to everything on all my lists, I might never get to be her. And instead, I'll feel like I've wasted my time. So many of my friends feel the same way, I know that many of you all probably do too. It's this feeling, this pressure to be as productive as possible, totally optimized, in work and outside of it. And it is exhausting. I'm Rima Khreis, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. On this week's episode, our obsession with productivity and why the urge to optimize everything we do makes us feel like we're never enough. So I spend most of my days working, and sometimes that bleeds into the evenings. And even though I'll have these ambitious plans for after work, by the time I'm done, really all I want to do is make dinner, binge Netflix, and just scroll through my phone. Apparently I spend four hours a day looking at that thing. And this has only gotten worse since the pandemic. Sometimes I wonder if I'm just spending my workday inefficiently, and that's why I'm so tired afterwards. I've looked around for the productivity hack that'll turn it all around. Like, I've tried the Pomodoro method, smart goals. One year, my roommate got me a productivity coach for my birthday. My producer, Haley, seems like one of the most together people I know. So for months, I would just copy whatever she did, like eating overnight oats, even though I hate oatmeal. But whatever I tried, nothing really stuck. So I was excited to talk to someone who I thought could help.
2: So I do research on how humans work best and how we can apply principles about how the human brain actually functions to how we actually go about our day-to-day lives so that we can Mm. optimize.
0: Sahar Youssef is a cognitive neuroscientist at UC Berkeley. Her research is all about how to optimize ourselves. So I was surprised that she was kind of critical of productivity culture.
2: We have a culture of glorifying being busy and active. Truth. We're just running. We're running. We, we, who knows what direction we're running in? We're running in circles. But we just have this hustle culture that I really push back against. As
0: a neuroscientist, the way she sees it, it's really simple. She says to be better versions of ourselves, it's all about working with our brain's natural tendencies.
2: There is a way that the brain works. There is a way that the body works. And my, my like, kind of, like, big ask, or, like, when I get on my soapbox, it's it's sort of, let's figure out what that is, and then go from there.
0: She says our brains, they have a specific design when it comes to things like memory, habits, and associations. And we should take advantage of those things, especially when times are hard, like during a pandemic. But she shared three big ideas that could potentially make me, and maybe you, feel less overwhelmed. Okay, so big idea number one. Use your brain to create cognitive boundaries, especially if you're working from home. Which I am fully aware of, but I'm not great at. Like, even when I interviewed her, I was still in my PJs. But Sahar says our brains, they're hardwired to create strong place-based associations. So we just don't focus well when we mix our home and work environments. Like, personally, I end up thinking about the TV show I'm going to watch later, or the laundry I still need to do, when I'm supposed to be meeting a deadline. But apparently you can create boundaries in all sorts of ways. Sahar's approach involved the massive lemon tree in her backyard.
2: So every single morning I would grab a lemon from my bowl of lemons from the kitchen. I'd give it a sniff, I'd give it a squeeze, I would look at it, and then I would put it down next to my laptop. When the lemon is on the table right next to my computer, my brain knows, oh, it's go time, it's work time. This is not my dining room table anymore. And that, that actually works? We're just <laughs> tricking ourselves? So what that does is it allows you an opportunity to create an association that is unique to working that you can put away at the end of the day.
0: My editor, by the way, swears this tip works. Like, she wears a special writing hat, like, a literal hat when she's writing. Okay, so idea number two. Sahar says we're actively draining our brain's energy when we're distracted. Like, take my phone. I feel like I get 100 notifications a day. I mean, twice a day. It reminds me to do a seven-minute workout from an app I've never actually used.
2: If you have notifications on, so you're getting a little ping every single time you get a new email, or if your inbox is even open and visible to you, it will literally take you more time and more energy to do the same amount of work. Yeah.
0: So I I actually turned off my notifications for Instagram the other day and I like almost completely forgot about the app. And it was very freeing because I felt like I got to choose when to check Instagram instead of it always demanding my attention.
2: I love that you said that, by the way. The number one thing that makes us feel like we do not have control, that I am a passenger in my day, I am not a driver, is notifications. Yeah. Because I no longer have control about what my mind is paying attention to. I do not organically decide when I want to pay attention to X, Y, or Z. It decides, and I I unfortunately just have to go along with it.
0: Hmm. Right. Limiting distractions isn't just about optimizing your output. As humans, she says, we're just happier when we're in control. All right. Idea number three, and I feel this one. She says we need to actually stop working once we've stopped working. Like, if you do work on your computer, put it away, stop answering emails, and most importantly, sleep.
2: I always, I liken this to really like a light switch. There is no such thing as being on without off. Mm -mm. Truly, like, you cannot be 100% on without a 100% off. Otherwise, we find ourselves kind of like swinging in this half-assed state of, of blurredness.
0: She says physiologically, we don't have the capacity to keep extending ourselves. In resting, it gives our brains the chance to rebalance the chemicals we need to more easily manage our emotions. So basically, I need to start going to sleep before midnight. After I talked with Sahar, I tried out some of her ideas. And the one that really worked was putting my iPhone away. I hid it in a bathroom cabinet while actually putting together this episode, and I was way more focused without notifications. But I don't know, like so many other things I've tried, the hacks always feel short-lived, and I just keep coming back to this anxious feeling. You know, I think over the last several years, I've come to associate productivity with negative connotations. Like, I always feel this pressure to be optimizing or fill my time productively, and it leaves me feeling kind of bad about myself because I'm always falling short and I, all, I just wind up feeling exhausted. And I'm curious, like, what you make of that as someone who focuses on productivity?
2: Mm. Well, I think what you're talking about is it is a pandemic in and of itself that is unfortunately invisible that we are mm. all struggling with in the West in the 21st century. We are over-prioritizing work in a way that we have never seen the likes of in history. At the
0: core, she says we need boundaries, but I couldn't help but feel like that's not enough. And that made me wonder, why are we so desperate to be productive in the first place? That's after the break. After I graduated college, I did this journalism fellowship, and sometimes I think back on the first assignment I got. It was a complete mess. I had to write a story, and I spent weeks obsessing over it, trying to nail down the right interviews, rewriting the same lines over and over again, asking my roommates to proofread. Then, the night before it was due, I drank two Red Bulls and pulled an all-nighter. And I still didn't finish it. I was 20, and I was so eager to prove to my managers that I'd be one of the hardest workers they'd ever seen, that I'd never say no and get things done in record time. But instead, that next morning, I found myself in my boss's office, crying. At the time, I really thought to accomplish anything worthwhile, you needed to work long hours and really sacrifice everything else. And to be honest, sometimes I still feel like this.
3: There's always been a desire to get things done.
0: That's Anne Helen Peterson. She's the author of Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. And she thinks a lot about our relationship to work. We internalize the idea that we
3: could get more. If you just try hard enough, you can become more productive. But it's not possible, right? And in general, we have reached... The end of of what is possible in terms of squeezing out any more actual tangible results.
0: But we're still trying. Anne Helen says we've basically reached our limits. People in the U.S. average more hours of work each year than in every similarly rich country. We also have shorter vacations, get less in unemployment, disability and retirement benefits. And we retire later. But we didn't always think it'd be like this. In the early 20th century, as things became more automated and work became more efficient, some economists were like, great, that means we're going to work a lot less, like 15 hours a week. And there was so
3: much literature and so much hope that we were at the beginning of this dawn of Hmm. incredible amounts of free time and that we would have utopian communities and like reacquaint ourselves with nature. Like it really was this fantastic vision of what the future could look like. Sounds nice. But instead, (laughs) we took our ability to do more in a shorter amount of time because of machines and computers and the internet. And we just worked more.
0: Right. And because of that same technology, our work is more accessible now, especially if you're a white-collar worker. Many of us are plugged in 24-7, so we feel like we should be responding to emails even as we're climbing into bed. And Anne Helen also pointed to something else, feeding this productivity culture, something I hadn't really thought about. She says the popularity of those get-stuff-done self-help books and online time hacks, they actually align with economic recessions. When you feel like your job is threatened,
3: you're going to seek out and adopt strategies that seem to be more productive, that make it look like you are doing more work, even if you are not doing more work, right?
0: Oh, interesting. Because I did have this shift where all of a sudden I was like, oh, I have to actually be more deliberate about being productive. I haven't really reflected on this, but maybe it is coinciding with like my anxieties about my work or my future.
3: Yep. And so undergirding that impulse to create all these lists and do inbox zero and and show just how productive you are is this overarching fear so of course it feels bad
0: the closer i got to 30 the more the pressure to be productive ramped up i started feeling all this anxiety about my future Would it be possible to have a stable job? Could I earn enough to even think about buying a house or having the kind of lifestyle my parents had? The fact is, reaching and staying in the middle class is just a lot harder than it was before. If you're a millennial, like me, our adulthood has spanned two recessions now. Like, most of us are way behind where our parents were at our age. There are fewer stable full-time jobs, fewer worker protections. We've saved less money, and we're burdened with way more debt. And personally, I felt like if I just tried hard enough, optimize myself to be the best employee, that I could get rid of this uncertainty. But it doesn't always work. Some mornings I wake up and I feel really energized and I'm like, OK, I'm going to win this game. <laughs> like, I think of the day as like a right. game. <laughs> right. And then I sometimes win, rarely. And then when I do, that moment, that feeling is like fleeting. Because... Right, because the inbox just fills up again, right? The yeah, two... <laughs> like there's another day. <laughs> and then yeah. another day. Yeah. She says that obsession with productivity, it leads to burnout. And burnout, the way she makes sense of it, it's a chronic state. It doesn't magically go away by going on a weekend retreat. I think of it kind of like a radio station that's always humming in the background. I can talk over it, but it's always there. It's the feeling that you hit the wall
3: and then you scaled the wall and then you kept going. And it's the feeling that everything in your life is kind of morphed into a to-do list and it never ends. And also when you're burnt out, the way that you try to recover from it is that you become even more obsessed with productivity. So they're really self-fulfilling. Cyclical. Yes.
0: Lovely. I guess that makes sense. When you've reached your limit, sometimes you think you're just not trying hard enough. So you double down on finding some other productivity hack, instead of taking a step back and reflecting on why you're doing all of this in the first place. And that actually brings us back to my first problem. Feeling like I'm falling short, not just in my work, but in my personal life.
3: Part of the thing with productivity is that it that mindset seeps into how you treat your free time, how you treat leisure, like all of these other, how you treat vacations. And so those things don't feel good or nourishing or restful. Like when I'd go camping, I'd be like, I need to do a huge hike. (laughs) You know, like I need to do (laughs) a 16 mile hike. Like I can't just do a three mile hike. Uh, Or when you go on a quote unquote relaxing vacation, it's like, I need to read three books during this time to prove just how relaxed I am. (laughs) Um, and I'm laughing during all of this because I know how ridiculous it sounds, but I also want to be very honest about, like, how the the messed up productivity mind works Is you're like, oh, I'm going to read so many books during this time instead of I'm going to take so many naps.
0: <laughs> right. And I can totally relate to that, except for the 16-mile hike part. I'm not doing that. But it does feel like I've turned my life into a checklist. Like, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'll write reminders to tweet, to eat lunch, to even text a friend back.
3: Well, because I think that we have turned those small little things like texting someone back it increasingly feels like work because like we don't have space for it like the Damn. only way to make space for it in our lives is to conceive of it as a part of our larger work like oh here i am doing the invisible labor of friendship if i put it on my to do list like i can confirm to myself yes this is work
0: and then also like justify it in some way exactly exactly like i I've, I've like hit my friendship metric or i don't know right
3: but that that sucks like All of the joy out of it. Right.
0: Do you have any practical advice for me? Um, And people like me who maybe are too preoccupied with optimizing their life um, in a way that can just feel exhausting. Yeah. Is the advice to just not do it, but then how do you not feel (laughs) guilty?
3: No, I think one of the things that's been really helpful to me is I have tried to figure out what I actually like. Yeah. What are the things that I, that I don't just like because they created good Instagram or I don't just like mm-hmm. because they win me the affirmation of my managers, but like, what what do I actually like? And how do I find a way to do that that doesn't feel like it's competitive or performative? That's just for me.
0: And it's like just doing things regardless of the results, but just because it makes you happy and you value it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I think it's really hard to disarticulate what society has told us we should value and what we actually personally value. That's the unlearning process.
0: Right. Thinking about it, it is hard for me to figure out what I truly value versus what society has conditioned me to think is important, especially living in a culture that rewards hyper-productivity.
1: Well, you know, the American culture is so um, oriented toward work and uh, uh, productive life in terms of work.
0: I called up my dad again. I was curious what it was like for him when he immigrated to the U.S. from Gaza back in the late 1980s. Right away, he worked as a nurse in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, doing 12-hour shifts.
1: All of my days were messed up, and, you know, most of the days, either I'm at work or sleeping. So that wasn't very uh, conducive to do any kind of uh, social life. That was hard.
0: And, you know, life in Palestine and Gaza, it was hard, too. My dad experienced limited opportunities and really a precarious life under Israeli occupation. But in spite of it, He says the culture, like so many other cultures around the world, it really prioritizes time with family and friends. In his 20s, he says he spent practically every night with people he loves, just sitting around on plastic chairs or in living rooms, talking and listening to music.
1: Just hang out and chat, you know, drink, you know, Arabic coffee, (laughs) While Umkal Thuma plays in the background, she's, she's the best <laughs> of all times.
3: <laughs>
0: when he came to the U.S., he could count the number of people he knew on one hand. For a while, he and my mom felt pretty isolated.
1: It took me years to basically kind of engage more in this culture and, um, I disengaged a little bit more from that culture. Yeah. But for years, I was homesick.
0: Well, it's funny because you came to the U.S. so you could work more, essentially, so you can have a better job yeah, better.
1: Right. And everything comes with a price. You know, you work harder, you work more, and, of course, you know, um, you have less time for other stuff.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
1: It's all about balance, Rima.
0: How do you feel about the fact that you're going to retire soon? I cannot wait. Really? You're going to have more time, more leisure time.
1: Exactly. I cannot wait for that. Really?
0: Wait, when are you going to retire?
1: Like in a couple of years.
0: Really? Wait, why are you so excited?
1: Uh, To have a free time. Yeah. And basically just sit on the front porch (laughs) without worrying about about the pressure of of the clock. Yeah. That's freedom. Yeah. You know, everybody who has, you know, a 9 to 5 job is not free man <laughs> or woman. Yeah. <laughs> so I cannot wait for the freedom. <laughs> yeah.
0: I love how my dad puts it. How really we're up against the pressure of the clock. And we're desperate for these time hacks or meditation apps to buy us some relief. And I keep thinking about something Ann Helen told me, that the solution to burnout will require a fundamental shift in how we all think about work and free time. Those kind of changes, though, they happen slowly. And I don't know, I wonder if I'm always going to feel this pressure to chase this future-optimized version of myself. So really, maybe I just need to change my vision of who that future person is. Like, instead of being someone who checks everything off her to-do list and hits every deadline, she sees her family more and figures out what she actually values. Because it's exhausting measuring how you feel about yourself by how much you get done. The more I do that, the worse I feel. And that, you could say, is unproductive. All right, y'all, that is all for this week's show. And actually, this is our very last episode of the season. We're going to take a break. But if you are interested in staying in the loop while we're off working on new stories, definitely sign up for our newsletter. We share behind-the-scenes info and some solid recs from the team. You can subscribe to that at marketplace.org slash newsletters. Also, if you have any thoughts on this episode or just want to stay in touch, you can always reach me and the team at uncomfortable at uncomfortableatmarketplace.org. This is Uncomfortable is me, Rima Hreis, Megan Dietry, Haley Hirschman, Peter Balanon-Rosen, and Camila Kerwin. Our intern is Daniel Martinez, editing by Michaela Bly. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Ben Tolliday is our audio engineer. Satara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right, I will catch y'all next year. And... I don't know. Let's go easier on ourselves.